Well, um, when Rose uh, kind of told me what, what I was going to be speaking on, um, I thought it was going to be Feast of Christ the King, which is what I spoke on last time I was here. Um, that was a whole year ago. Um, and I thought, yes, going to get a twofer. You know, <laughs> just roll it back out, it'll be fine. Um, and then she was like, no, we're, we're doing this different thing with Advent. We're, ro- we're going to do the Magnificat um, to, to kick it all off. I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> not going to get that freebie. Um, and I wasn't really in a like, kind of Magnificat kind of, kind of space. Does anyone feel that at the, at the end of the year? I'm in a very Ecclesiastes space. If you haven't read Ecclesiastes, uh, here's some of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Um, so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving, even with which they labor under the sun? All the days their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Um, But Ecclesiastes is, is, this, um, is this brilliant book of beautiful poetry um, and wisdom from the, from the uh, Jewish tradition um, that is kind of packed full of these metaphors that, that try to unpack the, like, just the crazy nature of life. Um, if you put it up against something like Proverbs, Proverbs says there's, all this, there's this real order, cause and effect. If you're good, things will be good. If you're bad, things will be bad. And Ecclesiastes kind of comes through and goes, oh, sometimes, sometimes, you know, you just toil all the days of your life, but it's just grief and pain. Um, and they use this word, they use this word hevel. Um, it's mentioned about 30-something times, um, and, and hevel, we, we translate it as meaningless. Um, but the actual word is, is fog, is vapor, is smoke. It's this, this idea of something that you, can, you can't quite grasp. It's there, but it's not. It's, um, it's vexing. It's intangible. Um, the, the guys from the Bible Project like the word absurd. It's a little bit just, just so bizarre, you can't grab onto it. And, and the first um, chapter is, is just this rundown of how life is just... A little bit of a drudgery sometimes. Meaningless, meaningless. Hevel, hevel. Absurd, absurd. Everything's absurd, says the teacher. What do people gain from all their labors? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. It's all the same. The sun rises and the sun sets, and then it hurries back and it rises again. The winds blow to the south, then the north, then back to the south. The streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. They place the streams come from, to there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. And sometimes, when you get to this point in the year, that's, that's kind of where you're at, right? It's been a long year. It's wearisome. It feels like it's been the same month over and over again. I don't know. If you're studying, sometimes you're like, man, have I done this chapter? Or like, what's going on? If sometimes at work, you're just like, this day is... The same day, week after week. Absurd. And sometimes like, you get to that point where you're like, oh, does anything really matter? This is all ridiculous. Um, I, I work uh, in, a, in a software company, and I was doing some sort of stats on our year. Um, and, and we've made um, almost 5,000 discrete changes to our software system. 
We're a small team, 5,000. You kind of look at it and you're like, wow. Is that the sum of what we've done? 5,000 changes and it's not that different now. <laughs> so yeah, everything sometimes feels like it's a churn of nothingness. There's a bit of chaos. There's just hebel. And, and we're done. All right. Get the worship team up. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not done. Like, um, so we come to Luke, right? And Luke is this fascinating book. Um, it's part one of two. Um, and part two is Acts. Uh, a few years ago, Blueprint did all of Acts in a heroic effort. So we're not, we're not going to attack Luke like that. But um, we're in Luke 1. And Luke is this amazing book um, that tries to stitch together and show you how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. How Jesus is the culmination of what God has been doing through, through Israel and, and through that people group at that time. That he is the culmination of all things there. That God is doing something in that space that is redeeming not just Israel, but all people. Not just the powerful, but the weak. Not just the rich, but the poor. That God's doing something new. That's what Luke is trying to do with Luke. So we're in Luke chapter 1. Um, bit of context. Um, angels come to Mary, says, hey, you're going to have, you know, son of God. Cool. Um, Angel has also appeared to a man named Zechariah. Um, he is a priest. He's, he's old. We're told he's very old. Um, we're also told someone later is also very old and she was 80-something. And so we can, we can conclude that this was a, a reasonably elderly man, or at least quite elderly. And him and his wife, um, they thought they'd never have kids. Um, but the angel comes and says, Hey, um, your kid... Um, is going to be the precursor to Jesus. And he's like, nah, that's not, no way that could happen. And the angel says, okay, it's going to happen. And, and to show you that this is a thing, you're going to be struck dumb from, from now until the baby's born. And he is. So here we have this priest, old priest, can't speak. His wife, probably advanced years, now pregnant. And we, and we kind of hit um, where we're about to hit our reading, right? So this is, this is all just the run-up. This, this is great. Um, so Luke 1, I'm just going to uh, kick in a little, a little bit early. So Mary is heading um, to Elizabeth, who's, who's the wife of Zechariah, who's, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. Um, and, and we kind of kick into the, sort of the precursor for this. Um, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary said, this is where the, we kick into the Magnificat, right? But it's not really, and then Mary said it's and then Mary sang. Um, and I just want you to picture this scene because this is a little bit absurd too. Mary, she's probably early teens, maybe late teens at most, gone to stay with her elderly relative because she's hapu. 
And she gets there, and her probably 80-year-old auntie-cousin is also pregnant. And that cousin is filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaims a blessing on her, and then Mary sings a song. It's a bit absurd. But she sings this amazing song. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. See, Mary's life before this event was Ecclesiastes 1. Mary's life was laid out for her. She was a lowly member of a lowly tribe in a backwater part of a lowly Roman-occupied country. Her life was laid out for her by her culture and her circumstance, right? It was the plot. It was the comfortable meaninglessness and obscurity. And then something new. Her mother and her grandmother and her grandmother, great-grandmother before her, they had all lived the same life. And so she knew what to expect. But something new. Something new. Mary is caught up in this something new. Finally, God is doing something new. And it's not just that Mary was waiting for something new. Her entire people had been waiting for something new. They had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for God to do what God said was going to happen. Finally, God was bringing to light his justice, his peace, and his mercy. Finally, God was going to save his people. And so she praises, she glorifies God. Because God is doing something new. She's heaping honor and praise on the Lord. Recognizing that he's fulfilling these promises that, that they have been waiting for collectively and groaning for and longing for. And that's what Advent is, right? That's why this reading is right at the beginning of Advent. The, the Anglican Church kind of recognizes these, these periods of time to try to give us a little bit of structure so that when we come into ordinary time, like we can experience heaven, we can experience the chaos, we can experience the smog, and we can see the beautiful parts of it. Ecclesiastes is not actually a book about hopelessness. Ecclesiastes is a, is a book about hope and finding joy and meaning in that hevel that sometimes is there. But we also set aside times to experience the yearning, to experience that waiting, that expectation. And that's what Advent is, a time to embrace and engage in that waiting, that desire for God to break through and do something new. 
So part of Advent um, that we have kind of handed down to us is, is um, manifest in the lectionary. Does anyone know what the lectionary is? So most of the readings that are, that are in, um, in the Advent, uh, what do we call them, seasonal guides, they're pulled directly from this, this amazing resource called the lectionary. Um, and the lectionary is um, a way of reading the Bible together that, that, that the Anglican Church all through New Zealand and much of the world um, participates in. And as we kind of like plow through Advent, um, there's all these readings that are going to kick up. And I encourage you, like, go have, a, go have a gander through those readings. Because those readings kind of pull out this idea of waiting and expose it to us and pull out these ideas of what are we waiting for? What is it that we are yearning for? Romans 13, and do this, understand this present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Matthew 24, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Isaiah 11, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. (laughs) Matthew 11, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This time has been gifted to us by those who came before us. And my prayer is that we would engage with this time. That we would actively participate in the waiting that is Advent. That we would give ourselves over to a practice that's hundreds and hundreds of years old of engaging with that waiting. And my prayer is that like at the end of that waiting, at the end of that yearning for God to come, that we might know a part of what Mary prophesied, of what she sang, that our souls might glorify the Lord, that we might see that he has performed mighty deeds even if we don't actually see them, that we might know them. She had the Savior and already proclaimed him Savior and God. She saw him humbling rulers, lifting up the oppressed, filling the hungry with good things. And my prayer is that we engage with Advent this year. That we open up those pages and dig into what it means to wait what it means to yearn what it means to desire and what it means to see God 